Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I hope you're having a great day today. I am thrilled to bring you my guest today, Daphna Horowitz. She is a CEO coach. I was on her podcast a few months ago, and we had so much fun talking about uh, how to create and own it mindset culture and what employee ownership was all about and sharing our stories that I knew she had to come on to reflect forward. She is one of the most sought after international coaches out there. She's based out of Israel. She is all about helping leaders navigate through challenging times. She has authored two books, The Courage to Lead, which she put out in 2014, and her new one, Weekly Habits for Extraordinary Leaders in 2020, which are both considered to be essential reading for leaders and aspiring leaders. When she's not helping leaders master their mindset and elevate their business, you'll find her in her favorite places, hosting her podcast, which is wonderful. Um, It's called Leadership Live, writing articles for various publications, and raising three kids with her lovely husband. She is so cool. She has taken professional chef classes. She has climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. She's run a marathon when she'd never run a marathon before. She truly is just an exceptional person. So I can't wait for you to meet her. Hang tight and I'll be right back. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited for you to meet Daphna Horowitz. And this is going to be such a fun show. I enjoyed my time on her podcast a few months ago. So it'll be so exciting to flip uh, flip roles and, uh, and let me interview you, Daphna. So thank you so much for coming on to the show today. Yes, I am so excited as well. And we always have fun. So yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's jump into your coaching. What inspired you to become a CEO coach? Oh, that's a really good question. And it comes with a bit of a life story as well. Uh, I think that if, if you look at my background, I was an actuary. So that is something that is often surprising to people because it's very much a numbers based field, you know, being an expert at analyzing trends and numbers and what's going on, working out uh, insurance premiums and pension funds and all of those good things. And for me, working in that field and working in corporations at the time, I felt there was a very big gap between how people were treated and the actual work and the output that was being done. So the work was good because we were professional and we were doing what we needed to do. But the way we were treated as employees really, really felt lacking. And it really most of the time felt like I was just much more of a workhorse, like looking at how much can be squeezed out of the employees in the business at the time. We worked long hours. There wasn't much appreciation. It was just more expectation. And that's really how I felt. And I thought something is wrong with this picture. Something, it can't be this way. And when I looked at the leaders around me, my managers and people higher up in the business, I thought there's no one there that I can really look up to from a human point of view. It's not to criticize anyone. It's really not. It's just, I think, the culture of the business that I was in and the approach. I mean, this was um, more than 20 years ago, 25 years ago. So there was a very different uh, amount of awareness around employee engagement and motivation and wellness in the workplace. Today, we're in a very, very different place. But at the time, I was really frustrated with that because it just did not feel in alignment with who I am and what I wanted for my life beyond 
just the, the work, you know. And, and then I started to search and I was constantly searching and my bookshelves were full of books on personal development and self-awareness and psychology and all of those things that I was absolutely fascinated by. How the brain works, how people work, what motivates people, what makes you feel like you're living a life on purpose. And those were the questions that really occupied my thinking at the time and I didn't have any answers. That's the truth. I could not find any answers to those questions. Even in the books and the reading, I thought, wow, if I could work in this field, there was, I didn't even have the language or the name for what this was. If I could work in this field, helping people connect what they do with who they are and really find meaning in their day-to-day -day work. And I know that psychology, of course, is linked to that and therapy is linked to that. But for me, it was something that was more, I wanted a more outcomes-focused process. I wanted to look for something that works with you towards a goal and helps you to take action and move forward every day. And um, that's really, that's what I was grappling with. And then I came to a place in my life where I was pregnant with my third child. Uh, I had a boy and a girl and I was, you know, waiting for my new baby. And when I was ready to deliver, I went into labor. And uh, in the process, I actually had major, major complications as part of the delivery. Thankfully, my daughter was born and healthy and well, but I wasn't. And I was actually in critical condition for three days of my life at that moment. Um, it was really touch and go at that time. The doctors weren't sure if I would make it. I had some condition of internal bleeding where my body just went into absolute shock, shock and trauma from the birth. And um, yeah, and, and thankfully I survived. But coming out of that experience made me absolutely determined to change my work environment so that I could really find that level of meaning and purpose. And all those questions that I was asking, purpose questions and the meaning of life and all of that really came to the fore. And I decided I need to go and, and do a lot of internal soul, soul searching, but also external searching in terms of what is it that I want to do with my life from this point on. That's and that's when I came across coaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is an amazing story. I mean, especially to go from actuary, right, to leadership coach. So when you were going through that process, do you you know, do you feel like you really like picked the wrong career going into being coming an actuary? Or, you know, do you think that it helped leapfrog to where you were? Tell us about what that felt like when you were figuring out like this isn't for me. Yeah. I'll start with that. What did it feel like? It felt incredibly unsettling and uncomfortable. Yeah. I was in a place where I was you know, going to work on Monday with very little motivation and just waiting for Friday for the weekend because thankfully I had a beautiful family, friends and community. So I felt fulfilled on that side. But my work, my Monday to Friday was an absolute drain. It was tough. It was hard going. Um, and I really lived in that going through the motion space, which for me is just very, very uncomfortable. I think it's uncomfortable for everyone, but I'm a very self-driven, motivated, ambitious person. And to be in this space where I just don't like what I'm doing and kind of going through the motions, it's, it's just foreign territory for me. And, uh, and, and to, to answer the question, if, do I regret, would I, did I do something that I didn't want to do? I don't regret it. And actually, the reason that I chose actuarial science or becoming an actuary was because 
At school, I was really good at maths and I loved it. I loved that way of thinking about problems, problem solving. That's one of my strengths is really analytical problem solving and seeing deeply into issues and being able to analyze and spot trends and patterns. So it was a right fit from a mathematical point of view. And I loved the studies and I really felt like I was challenged and enjoyed the work, the the your paper, the, the studying part, when I came into the real world environment to actually apply and implement, I didn't love that so much. And that's when I realized actually what I want to do is use those analytical problem solving skills when I look at how to understand people and their deep motivations and what drives them and help them to lead a more fulfilled and, you know, higher performing, if you like, life so that they can be who they need to be in the world. And that was far more fascinating to me. Uh, I do think, you know, being an actor is a long process. It requires a lot of hard work and study. And that was a challenge as well. And, you know, it, it really you go through such ups and downs. So I wouldn't say that becoming an actor is an ideal route to going into leadership coaching. But I think that it gave me the platform because I understand people who come from an expert background and who need to develop their leadership skills. And that's my particular uh, strength is... I work with CEOs who are specialists and experts in their particular field, who high performers, high achievers, they've got promoted from role to role to role and finally made it to that CEO position. And then they get to this place where they realize there's a huge gap. I call mm -hmm. it the leadership gap because everything that they know and all their experience and expertise and wisdom that brought them to this place is now not enough to get them to lead the business in the way that they need to lead it. They now need to develop other skills that don't often come so naturally to them. And that's where you can really work with a coach to build and learn those skills. And I believe it's totally doable to learn the skills. For some people, for sure, it comes naturally. But for those that it doesn't, you can. You can learn the skills through consistent practice and habit and awareness to really develop the leader, develop into the, being the leader that you want to be in order to lead your organization and your business to where you want it to go. And I love that. I just love that about my work. So I understand that. So having come from that world, I really understand the context. I've been through it myself, so I get it. And this really places me very well to be able to work with the CEOs and, and their teams to really get to where they need to go in terms of their business. Oh, your passion just, yeah, your passion just comes through. I can totally tell that you picked uh, the right second career and it resonates with me. I, I was in such a similar uh, position when I graduated from high school, I was being pushed to go into engineering school because I was good at math. Uh, and I didn't really understand what an engineer did. So here I'm at a school specifically to study engineering. That's all they really have going like, oh God, this is not what I want to do. I love the people problem, yes. um, solving yes. those kinds of intricate human, the human yes. messiness, right? And exactly. So and it's messy. It's way it more is. messy, right? <laughs> it is. It is. So yeah. I can totally relate. I can totally relate. And, you know, I read an interesting book called uh, Wellbeing. It was written by the Gallup organization. Mm. And it talks about the five areas of, of personal well-being. And one of them is work well-being. And the authors make the argument that you can be really fulfilled in all the other four areas, family, community, you know, health. But if you aren't happy, if you don't have high well-being at work, it diminishes everything, right? You can't go, oh, I have this great life, but a really crappy job. And I'm um, living my life, you know, holistically and healthy. 
So I can completely relate to uh, that, making that life change going, this is not what I want to do. And now I have to pivot, especially when you have like a life changing event, like you had with almost dying in childbirth. So anyway, it's a really inspiring story. Yeah. And I think that's so true. You know, Carrie, if I just look at what you're saying, and that is that we spend so much of our time at work and to think that, you know, you, you, you can just, and, and this is the message that I got when I was unhappy and unfulfilled in my work, in my previous career, people would say to me, but look at what you've got. You're earning well, you're doing well, you're getting the promotions, you know, you're getting the title, you've got a beautiful family, you've got a beautiful social life and community. You've got such a good life. Just deal with it. So you don't have to love work. Just, just get on with it. But the truth is you do need to love work. You do need to feel fulfilled because it can actually drain you. It impacts every area of your life when you're not feeling good at work. And I think that's part of my passion now is to work with leaders, to take responsibility, to create the kind of work environment that their people want to come to. And I know that you're that kind of leader, Kerry, because it's really important to you. You understand what I mean when I say you take responsibility for the environment that you create for your employees to come to work every day and enjoy it and feel fulfilled and feel part of it and feel like they're doing something important. Absolutely. So pre- previously, uh, you said that you like to address, you want to address the leadership gap. So what do you see is, um, is the leadership gap and, and how are you helping leaders kind of close it? Yeah. Great question. So I see the leadership gap as comprising a few things, actually. The one is what I spoke about, which is the gap from expert to leader. So that's when you're really good in your subject matter um, that you're dealing with. So whatever your area of expertise is, whatever you learned, um, you know, either through university or through experience in terms of what you're really, really good at, uh, that's your subject matter expertise. Then you progress through the ranks of an organization, or sometimes you even go out and build your own business. And then you need to really upskill yourself in leadership skills because now your results are not dependent on the direct effort that you put in. Your results are actually dependent on the people that work for you and how you lead them. And that's a big gap for many people between expert and leader. And that's something that can be learned and developed over time. The second leadership gap is that you know, partly where the imposter syndrome comes in is that you do so well, you've achieved what you wanted to do, and then your self-doubt starts niggling at you. And you, you half the time, so many people that I work with, and you know, even myself, I felt it too, is that your level of confidence, sometimes you look at what you're doing and you're thinking, I can't believe that this is me. I can't believe that I'm doing that half the time. I feel like I'm really winging it because I don't really know what I'm doing, but I'm doing it. And there's that imposter syndrome and that voice of self-doubt that comes into your mind. And for me, that's another type of leadership gap because as you progress, yeah, your, your level of risk and your level of fear increases. And there's that part of you that says, can I really do it? And I think that's also an important leadership gap to address. And then there's another leadership gap that I talk about as well, which is the leadership gap between you as the CEO and your team. Because as a CEO, and here's what I find, is that many CEOs are visionary. They're ideas people. They've got a strong sense of what the big picture is and where they want to take the business. And they really just want to get there. And they're full of ideas, brimming with ideas and vision and big picture and all of that. And then they've got a team that they need to use to implement that. And their team 
Often, it, well, clearly the team does not live inside the CEO's head. So the CEO is often not very good at articulating what they're seeing in their head to their team we need to implement. And the team needs to be brought along, but the CEO is a hundred steps ahead and already thinking of the next step and the next idea and the next step and the team is struggling to catch up and be brought along. And again, it's the leader's responsibility to make sure that the team that they're working with is right there with them because they are critical to the operations, to the making sure that these wonderful ideas and the direction of and the vision of the business actually gets executed. Yeah. So those are just a few of the leadership gaps that I find. They all resonate. Uh, absolutely. Uh, and I have found, especially the last one of that gap of leaving my team behind. Uh, mm-hmm. I have ha- learned that lesson the hard way so many times. And one of the things that we just put into place um, were our executive management team's operating principles. And so it's really about you know, our purpose as a team and how we're going to work together and how we're going to hold each other accountable and how we're going to lead the company and run the company. And that has been so incredibly helpful because part of it is is shared understanding. And if I'm out running way far ahead and my team doesn't have shared understanding of where we're going and why and feel like they have a say, then we're not we're not holding up I'm not holding up my commitment to the uh, the operating the principles that we've agreed upon. So that's been really, really helpful. And what makes it so uh, engaging and inspiring is that it's not just for me, my team uses it. And so I hear them holding each other accountable or themselves accountable um, to these operating principles. And it's really helping close the gap between peers, it's helping close the gap between you know, a leader of a team and their teams. Um, and then of course with me and my team. So uh, that's one of the tricks that I've, I've been putting into place um, because I've learned the hard way of what happens when your team just, yeah. it's, you can't follow. <laughs> I love They're- it. I absolutely love it. I think it's so important. And actually what you're also saying is that it's about having those operating principles in place and being able to have that conversation of yeah. what does it mean to have these operating principles? What are the operating principles? How do we, the fact that in the creation of the operating principles, you've had to have some really important conversations about what they should be. That's already very powerful in terms of bringing a team together as well. And then you've got a product or an outcome that really helps you to live that every day where people hold each each other accountable. I think that's really, I I love that. Yeah. And the other thing it helps with is, uh, is uh, onboarding people. So, you know, when you come on at the executive team level, it's that hard balance of, you know, do I bring my expertise and prove myself or do I learn the team, learn the company, learn how I fit in. And I think any any high level leader is always trying to figure out that balance. And what these operating principles do is it says, here's how we make sure, here's how we function as a team. And here's how we're going to communicate. Here's how we're going to make sure that we don't have gaps in communication. If this does not resonate with you, then maybe you shouldn't be part of this team because this is how we, we function. And I think that it's been really helpful for onboarding and using it as a tool to select candidates against, like, do they fit this? Can they Mm -hmm. live up to this? Do they buy into it? I didn't think about it in terms of the leadership gap um, of closing that, but that's exactly what it's doing. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I, I love what you're saying because I have something that I call a user manual, which is not on a team level, it's on an individual level. And what we do with that is, um, in fact, I talk about it in my book as well, but uh, if, if every person in a team creates their own user manual. So you know, like we've got, when we go to buy a, an appliance, washing machine, microwave, whatever it may, may be, it comes with a booklet or some, now we, go, we can go onto Google and, and read it up, but it comes with a booklet of how to use the machine. And um, I suppose in a, in a lighthearted way, we can say we can each have our own user manuals because we have our nuances, our personalities, our communication preferences, whatever it is. And if you can create your own user manual, of this is who I am and this is what helps me, this is what I'm working on and this is how I like to interact and relate to the people around me. And you sit together as a team and share your user manuals, it also gives huge insight into how you can interact with each other, communicate with each other, and really create this high-performing team. So I love what you're saying because it's almost like when you take the operating principles, which is the identity of the team, and then you take the user manual and you layer that and say, okay, well, how does my user manual fit into the operating principles? Could be an interesting dynamic to explore. I love that uh, be, because it's so funny it does, how, how coincidental this is. So one of the things that I've been trying to help my team understand is how they show up, right? We all have some form of self-preservation, but some people feel that more strongly than others, where some people are transformational and some people are very social. And so I want the operating principles to be able to resonate with all three primary, those kind of groups, how, how the, what those motivating dr uh, drivers are. Uh, and so um, I've been rewriting them and really thinking about it through those lens. If I'm a socially oriented person, does right. this resonate? Exactly. And I, if I'm a self-preservation person, um, does this resonate? Does that so, yeah. Totally. So I, I love this idea of the user manual because then I can really help my team understand how they can interact together, how they show up. And I also have a deeper understanding of, you know, how, what are those motivating behaviors and drivers within them? And, mm -hmm. exactly. uh, and then try to create an environment that is inclusive for all the different styles. Exactly. So I love that. I'm going to do that. <laughs> yeah. And if you, I've got a template for it. So if you want with pleasure, I'll absolutely send it to you. And anyone who's listening, if you want a template of the user manual, feel free to reach out and we'll send it along. But what I wanted to say is that I love seeing it being put to practice. I've got two CEOs who've used it so effectively in their business. One says that he's got a user manual and whoever, every new recruit that comes into the company sits with him in a meeting and he goes through his user manual with a new recruit so that the new recruit knows exactly yeah. what he's about and how to interact and how he sets the tone for the business. And my second CEO actually has implemented it across his business. I think now he's got over a thousand employees and I think about three or 400 of them have got a user manual that they've developed and they use it in their conversation. So it's a really, really great tool to actually, it builds self-awareness, but also understanding of each other. I love it. I'm going to totally take you up on it. Um, I love doing things like that. So I, I want my own user manual for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll give it to my husband. Ah, brilliant. Yes, for husbands and wives, of course. Spouses, I should say. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. All right. So let's talk a little bit about your book. Uh, so you wrote a book called Weekly Habits for Extraordinary Leaders. 
So can you give us a few examples of the habits that you write about, maybe the top two or three that you think are the biggest game changers? Yes, absolutely, with pleasure. So I do want to say that this is my second book. So I've got another book called Courage to Lead, which is about my trip climbing Kilimanjaro. And I wrote a book about that as well because I saw the metaphors between the climb and and leadership. But this is my second book that I launched more recently. And really my thinking behind that is to say, Leadership can be a habit. There there are things that we can do consistently and practically to really make leadership a habit. And I believe everybody's a leader and everybody can call on those leadership qualities within themselves, turn them into habits and show up as a leader in your life, you know, regardless of whether you're in a company or not, or whether you're an official leader, you've got a title, it's got nothing to do with it. But a couple of the habits, and and also I'm actually going to add here is that the habits that I look at are not necessarily all doing habits, like action habits. They're actually also thinking habits. So for example, one of my favorite ones is if you want to just connect with who you are, I say that when we are children, say but anything between the age of three and eight, there's a part of us that hasn't got to that place of self-doubt and inhibition and what will people think and embarrassment and all of that. There's a part of us that is still very innocent and courageous and, and just be who we are. So one of the habits that I say is give some thought to who it was that you were in your childhood and think of three words that describe you as that child. And for me, it's about, it was curiosity adventure and learning you know i want can you and i'm putting you on the spot if i ask you to think about that think of yourself in your happiest moments um as a five-year-old girl uh what would be three words that you would use to describe yourself in that time sure would you be Um, able to come up with something yes absolutely uh so i would say it would be uh plain hard playful but you know plain hard like was climbing trees and building forts so i was also actually yeah very like active (laughs) playfulness which you know completely resonates with me curiosity for sure i love to read i always ask questions i drove my mom crazy with that Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh and then i would say independence Like I really always wanted to do everything on my own. So don't do that for me. I'll do this, you know, I'll do this on my own. Uh, So I would say those would probably be the three that would describe me. I totally resonate with those three as well. So the the habit that I'm looking at cultivating there or asking, you know, you to listen to, to um, work with is if you've got three words that describe you as that child in your happiest, most, um, you know, joyful, blessed moments. If you've got those three words, I say those three qualities still live within you. The fact that you're an adult now and you've been through a whole lot of life experiences and definitely a lot of challenges as well and you know, challenging, difficult experiences, those three qualities are still within you. And sometimes they're hidden and very deep and sometimes we're still very connected. But I would then ask you to think about how would you connect to those three qualities on a day-to-day level? Ask yourself, how was my day-to-day? Was I being curious, adventurous, and did I learn something, you know, for, for me in terms of my words? And try and bring that inner joyful child of yours to out to play a little bit more because I think we just forget about it in the day-to-day uh, running of our lives. I agree. We all need to connect more in, uh, into that child in all of us so we can have more fun. I completely agree with you. All right. Yeah. So give me an example of one of the more um, action-based, one of the more doing habits uh, right. that, okay. that you recommend. 
So I talk in the one of the examples is pick pick something that you really want to do that's been a dream for you and then take one small step towards making it happen. Yeah. And I share the story of how I am when I grew up as we were talking I was way more of a maths buff than a sports person. In fact, I hated sports. I'm not a sport person. I was a bit of a nerd. You know, I, I'd laugh with my kids because I say what I did for my uh, hobbies and activities was do the maths Olympiad and the science Olympiad and the Bible quiz. And, you know, those were my you know fun activities. And um, so as you, in preparation for my trip uh, to climb Kilimanjaro, which is something that I took on purely because it was a physical challenge that I wanted to prove to myself that I can do, I started running. And uh, I, 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 saw, I just started running and slowly, slowly built up. And then I had this idea, I ran a 10K and then I thought I want to do a half marathon. And I did the half marathon. So not so long ago, I ran a half marathon. And even after a skiing injury and all of that, I did it. And for me, it's just about taking those small steps. So you might have a big dream, but just make sure that you just have to do one, one small step. So when I started running, I didn't run for the purpose of, in fact, I said, me, a half marathon, never. If I can just run, you know, one kilometer, I'll be really happy. But it starts with that. It starts with the first few steps. I remember in the beginning, I would run from one lamppost to the next lamppost and be completely out of breath. And then I would walk and then I'd run again. And that's how you do it. It's the little steps. So pick something that you want to do, something that you want to achieve, and just think of what is the small step that you need to do in order to take care, to, to move you closer to that goal. And all you have to do is just do that small step until you're ready to take the next step. And I think that's a, um, a habit of action, but it also sits in your mindset in terms of you don't have to see, you know, when we look at the big goal, we get frightened off and we think we can't really do it. But if you just think of what is one small step that we can do, then uh, it becomes more manageable. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, I did that with uh, with my writing. I knew I wanted to write a book someday. And yes. so I said, well, then I better start practicing writing. So, all right, I, I'm going to start a blog. All right, what do you have to do that? Okay, you have to have a website. And so, you know, now I'm writing my book and I have I have six years of content that I've been writing with consistent blogging that now will be able to, you know, repurpose a lot of that into my book. And so that example really resonates with me because, you know, I, I didn't know when I was going to write it. I just knew it was going to be someday, but if I just, you know, wrote a blog every, you know, week or two, then I would have a little bit more content and a little bit more practice and I'd be a little bit more ready when the time came. So great example. And that is, I love your example because I relate to it as well because that's how I wrote my Kilimanjaro book. Yeah. When I went through the whole process of Kilimanjaro, I started a blog just because I wanted to remember because, you know, I go through things in life and then you don't remember the details afterwards. So I wanted to remember, so I started writing a blog. And then when I came back, I thought, hold on a sec, I can just think about my experience and write each one as a blog rather than think about a whole book that I need to write. And that's exactly how I did it. Yeah. But I'd love to share one more example, just maybe make it a little bit more work related because I've got quite a few chapters in the book. So the book is structured because it's called Weekly Habits. It's structured into every week. There's 52 weeks with so 52 short chapters about an idea, a story and something that you can take on board. And one of them is um, the five things managers should say and really shouldn't. So this is looking at how we communicate and really sometimes managers say things because they're very well-meaning and they think they're doing the right thing, but it might actually be 
uh, not the best thing to say in that moment. So like just very practical in terms of, is this something that you land up saying? Is this something that you land up doing? So check yourself against those and see if you can, um, you know, change the way you say things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. I think every leader has probably put uh, uh, his or her foot in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I know I have. I think we all do as human beings. We all do. But it's about maybe just being able to reflect on that and actually say, okay, you know, it didn't come out as I would have liked, but I can acknowledge it and change it. I love it. All right. So you also talk about the CEO myths that are out there. So what are some of the CEO myths that you share with your clients? Yeah, I love these. Okay. The CEO myths. Um, the first one that I often come across is that the CEO's focus is it's all about results. If I'm getting the results, then I'm okay. I'm doing a good job and I'm fine and my business is fine. And we know, and, and I've written an article about this as well. I don't think I don't think this one's in my book, but <laughs> um, it's called, it, I, I titled it, uh, CEOs get hired for results and fired for style because it's not all about results. And you can drive to results and be so outcome focused to get the results that you want. But if along the way, you are really being destructive in your communication, in your behaviors, in the way you bring people along, then you're not going to last in your job. And actually it came out of a, you know, a few examples put together and one particular one where the CEO was super talented and um, was headhunted for a new role. And then very quickly into the role, he he was fired because that culture wouldn't stand for his bullying way of behavior. So that is one, um, one CEO myth. Another one that I hear a lot is, and and it's related, but it's, um, I'm just not a people's person. Many CEOs, if they could just get on with their work and they say to you, if I could just get on with my work and people just get on with their work, then everybody would be so happy and life would be great. But actually I say to them, Actually, the people stuff is your job, whether you're a people person or not, people are your job. That's what it is now as a CEO and a leader. Those are great examples. All right, let's talk a little bit about mindset, because another thing that you say is that there's a a leader inside all of us. We just need to believe it. So how do you you coach people maybe to get over some of that imposter syndrome that they're feeling um, or help that mindset of like, I am a leader and I can do this? Great. I love that question. So I think it is all about mindset, clearly, because imposter syndrome is living in our minds. It's in our heads and it's the story and the narrative that we buy into. So what I say is why not shift the mindset into actually making imposter syndrome your friend? Because if you can realize that when imposter syndrome comes up, it's usually when you are about to take a step that is really putting you into that next level. So that's where the fear and uncertainty comes up and you start feeling like an imposter. So maybe you're being asked to do something that is a bit more unusual. Maybe it's that next level of leadership. Maybe it's a decision that really has significant implications for your business. It means you've just gone up a level in your level of performance and leadership. So welcome it. When you see that imposter syndrome, if you can make the imposter syndrome your friend and say, ah, Welcome, you are here because I'm clearly hitting the limit of where I'm at and I now need to be brave and really step up and go over that limit. So 
you need to use courage and sometimes it is about feeling the fear and doing it anyway but acknowledge the imposter syndrome as that voice that says to you you've arrived you got there you're now hitting that limit and you need to push through i love that i remember the last time i had imposter syndrome it was in uh, like the end of well uh, lots of times but this one in particular was at, <laughs> at the end of 2019 and um, my COO and I were parting ways and it was really emotional because um, he had been working for me for seven years and and you know really was my right hand man and uh, he wanted a CEO position and you know we were trying to make it work as a COO and it just wasn't it was time to go. Uh, but he said some pretty hurtful things to me and in the moment, and I really started to question myself and I was like, Oh God, I don't know. Maybe I am just a shitty leader and that I can't do this. And I'm in over my head and, and you know, my husband, like, you know, gave me a little pep talk. He's like, you're crazy, <laughs> but it was so good. Like I almost needed to have some of those doubts because the next day when I woke up after this really emotional evening, I was like, okay, no, I can do this. You know, I can figure out how to have him exit the company gracefully where we can still remain friends and that I can lead the company, you know, through this next era. I was really helpful because it was grounding and it, it caused, um, you know, me to really be humble in the situation. And I think I came out with a better solution. So I think it's okay to, I agree with you. I think it's okay to have imposter syndrome and to embrace it. It, it, good things can come out of it when you analyze your self-doubt and then figure out how to push through it. Exactly. And I, I suppose what we're saying is not to dive into that fear because imposter syndrome is really an indication of a level of fear or something yeah. uncertain that you're going through. So not to dive into that and buy into that whole story and narrative of the imposter syndrome, but actually to say, hold on a sec, this is an indicator. And we know whenever we're feeling something, it's always an indicator for what's going on within us. So it's really saying, it's asking the question, what is it here to tell me? What is it here to alert me to? And to actually say, thanks, thanks for that feedback, I'm moving on. Not to buy into the narrative. And I think that with your story, you really are showing that because you're saying there was something of a comfort of having this person with you who's been your right-hand person for a very, very long time, and now he's leaving. And his defense mechanism was to lash out at you. So instead of buying into that, that story and his story and then all the doubt that comes up for you is to say, hold on a sec, there's an indicator here. What is it indicating? It's indicating that you're going to have to move to a level of leadership that is different without the support that you've had in the past. So great. How are you going to step into it and how are you going to do this powerfully? Because you know you can. Yeah, exactly. I really like the way that you said that, that every time it comes up, embrace it because it just means that the next level is coming. And, mm-hmm. and I haven't ever really thought about it exactly like that. So I think mean, that's really helpful advice. And it will be... Um, I think easier for people to move through it when they recognize like I will get through this and something's better on the other side. Exactly. Exactly. It's that. There is something better on the other side. I'm moving towards something even better. So yeah, Yeah, keeping going. Absolutely. All right. I want to ask you about Kilimanjaro. So (laughs) you wrote a book on courage. uh, And so tell me a little bit about uh how courage played into that adventure and what you learned about leadership uh from it yeah 
there is so much there's so much in that analogy of the mountain climbing and you know are you climbing the right mountain do you have the right gear have you done the right preparation do you have the right team with you do you have the right guide how do you get through that break you know the breakdown to break through because i definitely had a breakdown moment i almost thought i wouldn't summit and where the courage came in for me was it was every single day on that mountain every single day i asked myself why did i do this to myself you know why am i here why did i put myself through this enormously challenging task for me and it's really courage to get through it's courage to make the decision first of all to do it even though it's not in my it wasn't in my nature it was completely out of my comfort zone on many levels not just on the physical level also on the level of, i'm just not a camping girl you know i don't i don't love camping i do always prefer to stay in a beautiful hotel with all the luxuries and the bathroom facilities and everything so i really stretched myself and challenged myself on this trip and for me that courage showed up every single day in everything that i was doing from saying yes to the trip to everything that went in preparing for it to actually going on it and being there every single day and just continuing on to the place where you know on summit night i actually could not i got to a point where i couldn't move i was freezing i was exhausted i was literally falling asleep while i was walking and uh, getting through that with the help of my team and my guide to actually just continue to push through so to me the whole story is a story of courage and i think that i'm not unique in that i think and it's not only about mountain climbing i think that all of us need to dig deep into that place of courage when we're facing something challenging and it could be on a daily basis like what is the courage that i need to dig up today in order to whether it's to get through the day or to get through a challenging presentation or to get through a challenging relationship or a challenging moment illness there are so many things that we are dealing with that we really need to find that place of courage every single day so it's that just that little bit that we need to really dig into and find for ourselves Mm, it's so beautiful. I love that. And I so relate on no camping. <laughs> Do you? Oh, I actually thought you'd be much more of a camper than me. <laughs> no. no, my husband's like, I cannot believe we don't take our son camping. And I'm like, you can take him camping. I want to stay at a hotel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm the same. I'm the same. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh. All right. Uh, so I have a few more questions for you Ooh. before we wrap up. So the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward, which has all kinds of meanings, um, some particular ones for me. What does Reflect Forward mean to you? Mm, I love the I love the name because for me, there's the reflect, which is looking back. So I often talk and, and here's another habit of leaders is that you need to find space in your t- in your day, in your week to reflect, which for me means sit down and think. Think about what you want, who you are, what you've experienced, what have you learned, where are you today and what do you want to still do? And the forward is the future part. The reflect is sitting for a moment and thinking about your day. What have you achieved? What have you learned? What did you do well? What didn't you do so well that you'd like to change? And the forward for me is about, okay, so then what's next? What do I learn from this? Where do I go with this? What do I want to plan for the future? And uh, I think that's such an important habit for leaders, especially because when you're so, um, you know, bombarded with information and things that you have to do, and often you're just either chasing for deliverables or firefighting a crisis, you need to find that oasis of a moment to sit down and think, think about what you've done and also how that impacts your future actions. 
I have a board member who I just love dearly. Uh, he is a, a great mentor for me and a great board member. And he said, you'll never be a great CEO unless you block out half of your week to think. And I was oh. like, how do I even do that? But he's so right. As I've, as I really have made more time to think and to process uh, and allowed that space, it, I mean, so so many more ideas come. I make way better decisions. Um, and so yeah. I think that is spot on. And it's true. You can't be a great. And you're actually though. way more productive when you yes. take that time off, right? Yes. Totally agree. Totally agree. Okay. All right. And then finally, if you had one piece of advice for leaders who want to be exceptional at what they do, what would it be? Yeah, I think, you know, there's something that I, can I say two? (laughs) The answer that I always give around that is about listening, because I do find that Leaders have a hard time with that because, you know, they are high achievers, top performers, they know a lot of things and they want to share and they want to teach and they want to tell. So I think one of the things is just just pause for a moment and keep quiet and just listen. Listen to the people around you. Listen to your environment. Take time to really ask questions and listen because I think it's a really key leadership skill. But what I wanted to add to today is that I really think that a critical piece of that is becoming more self-aware. When you understand yourself better, you're able to lead the people around you a whole lot better as well because you've done the work on yourself first. And I think as leaders and CEOs, we have so many expectations of the people around us. And it's in a way easy to expect and to ask people and to tell people what you want to see from them or what you want them to do. But if you haven't done the work on yourself, you don't know how to do that effectively. And that begins with doing the work, self-awareness, understanding you, what drives you, your personality, your weak spots, your strong spots, and really working with it. So that's what I wanted to add today. Yeah. Great advice. Great advice. All right. So how can people find you? Find your book, your podcast. You have a fantastic podcast. Tell (laughs) uh, tell everyone how they can get a hold of you and get more of your great, amazing wisdom. Thank you, Kerry. I've loved being here. So thanks for the opportunity. And yes, I've got a website. It's my name, DaphnaHorovitz.com. And there's lots of resources on there for free that you can access. Um, And, you know, the resources that I mentioned in my book as well, you can access those. So my book is available on Amazon. You can just go on there and buy. Um, And my podcast, all everything's on my website. So like uh, my website is the one stop shop for anything that you'd like to know about me. And then, of course, to connect on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, I'm on there as well. So feel free to connect. I love having conversations. I mean, I also say conversation is the tool of leadership and I love having conversations and connections with people. So I'm happy to connect. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This was such a fun interview. You are an inspiring, inspiring person. Thank you, Kerry. I've loved connecting with you and being with you and spending time with you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, everyone. Hang tight. I'll be right back. All right. I'm back, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Daphna. Uh, What a great person. So much fun to interview her. All right. That's it for today. I look forward to hosting you next week. If you like this podcast, please like, share, subscribe, rate. It's always helpful. See you next week.